What's up, everyone? Welcome into Gorilla Hockey with JJ and Jesse. This is a first time addition for us, Jess. We've never done a podcast while you're on the road. I think you just got to Boston today. I'm still here in Denver in my basement, and look at us doing a podcast together. But this is a first time addition for Gorilla Sports here. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> we were ho- we're hoping that the uh, maybe some video on this one, but uh, yeah, we're trying to figure out how to make this work and. Every uh, video software, video podcast software is fighting us uh, today, so this might just be an audio-only one. But yeah, no, we're, we're in separate places, and I got to say, JJ, it's great to see you. I think, uh, I think you're the only person that, that has been out uh, with illness longer than Miles Wood was. I, I have, I mean, so I was out with COVID, and uh, yeah, I missed three home games. I was incapacitated for about six days. I quarantined in my basement. And after seeing Miles Wood come back, I'm like, after what I went through with that, because this version of COVID was worse than the first time I got it several years ago. This was just a lot worse. And I'm like, Miles Wood had to have been dealing with what I was, too. It just seemed that way. But yeah, COVID was a trip. Um, I, you know, when, there was one night for me, I think I just got to paint this picture because I found it hilarious. Um, I was a little bit too deep on the NyQuil. And... Um, <laughs> Was playing around with my little music. I have like some music, a loop machine, right? I don't know if you've seen those people that can make loops. And so I play around a lot on the loop machine. So I'm heavy into some NyQuil on the loop machine, wearing nothing but my brand new robe and my uh, primetime glasses, my Coach Prime glasses. And I was just, that was the peak of COVID for me. Just, you know, I think there were some pros and cons, but I, um, I tried to have a good time while I could. Yeah, thank you for putting that in my, uh, in my head. I appreciate it's pretty, that. It was pretty. It was pretty sweet. I'll have to show you some of the tracks I made. Um, I bet it was. <laughs> while high on NyQuil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, oh, but no, gosh. let's get into uh, the trip. I mean, Avs are playing some good hockey, six and two through the month of January so far, and uh, pr- doing pretty decent in Canada. I mean, that Montreal loss was a head scratcher for sure, but um, I think Avs fans are pretty pleased with what they've seen so far, at least through this through this last stretch of games here. Uh, yeah, you know, I didn't, uh, you don't love losing to Montreal. Um, uh, you know, again, even though it was kind of a weird game where they, they don't really mind the way they played and, you know, Montreal blocks a lot of shots, <clears throat> excuse me, Jake Allen has a decent night. All I don't know. I didn't like that one, but, um, you love the resiliency against the Leafs, uh, and you love the pushback last night in Ottawa that, that, you know, we talk at times about with this team like that would have been an easy game for them to you know kind of feel sorry for themselves when they go down four to two and hey we're tired on the second half of back to back we got in late um you know you know we're, we're without all these different players we got all these injuries now no val um and, and you know i kind of made the joke to jared after jared bednar after the game saying you know usually teams on the second half of back to back get more tired seemed like the abs kind of went the other way uh, so it was good to see that you didn't want to go into Boston chasing the road trip. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And I don't think you want to lose. I mean, we know Montreal's brutal, right? They just lost at home to San Jose last week, but Ottawa is kind of equally as bad. So I, you can't really have two losses to teams like that back to back. And we've, we've seen it. We've discussed it. Just, they have some, had some ugly losses throughout the year to teams. They just have no business losing to Montreal can just be added to that list. Yeah, and the one thing that we do kind of keep coming back to, you and I keep saying, like, and it's part of the reason uh, Nathan McKinnon was on um, 32 Thoughts this week. He, he did a sit-down with Elliot Friedman. I don't know if you listened to it. but Yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to that. He, he, he talks in that interview about kind of his growth and, um, you know, being able to turn the page and have the perspective of, of – there being 82 games. And I mean, like, you know, JJ, you don't have to have played hockey, but like just anyone that's played sports, I think hockey is unique in this and that from a young age, you play a lot of games in a season, you know, youth sports that kind of gets watered down sometimes, but, um, you know, you start learning the importance at a young age of there are a lot of games. You're going to have bad games. You're not going to have it every single night and just being able to turn the page, not get hung up on stuff. And uh, I don't want to get too into maybe what you talked about. Uh, but, you know, he, he talks about that, that being a big lesson for them along that, that cup run of, 
yeah, you're going to lose games. You, you, you can't sit there and, and, you know, dwell on every up and down. And, and that's the part of, <clears throat> like, I've tried to take that away from when he told us that last year. I've tried to take that away in my perspective of, like, yeah, it's easy to sit there and beat up on the loss to Montreal or, or whatever, but who was it that you just said beat the Panthers tonight? Was it San Jose? Detroit. Detroit, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, but But, you know, so, so there's all there's top teams around the league losing games that you think they should be winning every night, and that kind of goes back to just what you and I have talked about so many times now of that there's no, like, in my opinion, no, like, true standouts in the league. The, 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 the top of the league is totally up for grabs right now. Yeah, I mean, and sticking with Nathan McKinnon on that 32 Thoughts interview, a great interview, by the way. Hilarious to me that the Avalanche show up to Canada and, and land in Toronto and suddenly are on every national or at least Toronto <laughs> podcast that there is. I don't know if you saw C-Mac was also on Frank Cervelli's podcast. Um, you know, there's some local podcasts that all these guys are welcome to join if they're ever <laughs> in the mood. Um, yeah, yeah. But but no, uh, Nathan McKinnon on Thirty Two Thoughts, you know, talking about the, his ability to turn over um, from game to game. I just, I guess, his comfort with the idea that you know you're not going to score every game. I mean, he, we've heard him say this his whole career, but even he says in the last three years, it's kind of actually coming true, right? And he, I thought something that was interesting about that little comment is he credits two people for his mindset yeah, yeah, shift yeah. in that regard. One of them was Gabe Landeskog. And the second is Andrew Cogliano, which isn't surprising to me and you who hang around the locker room. We know Andrew Cogliano has a little bit of a leadership vibe to him, but I didn't know that Andrew Cogliano and Nathan McKinnon kind of had a relationship like that where Cogliano can be like, look, this is the way you be a leader. This is the way you kind of develop yourself as a professional. And um, just interesting to hear that those are the two guys he really credits for uh, just changing his mind on, on things. The Cogliano one both surprised me and it didn't. You know, we've heard um, Nate was the first one that I heard talk about the now, you know, kind of famous uh, game six speech uh, that Cogliano gave in the cup final. He, Nate was the first one that I heard, um, you know, kind of talk about that and then kind of parlay that into like, whoa, what a voice this guy, you know, has in the room and just came in immediately and, and earned that respect. So, when I heard him say that, I was like, oh, that's why he thinks so highly of him is that he came in. And, I mean, Jared Bednar talks about it all the time, too, with Andrew Cogliano. Of, like, nobody takes better care of themselves. You and I see him all the time. Guys are, um, you know, and, again, they all work their, their absolute tails off. So this isn't even a shot at other guys. But, like, other guys are grabbing their lunch and, and getting back to, you know, home, getting back to the hotel, whatever. And Andrew Cogliano is doing high knees in the hallway. You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, and, and, you know, wind sprints and, and la ladders, not high knees. The hip rotation thing he likes to do yeah. too, right? Where he's really getting those, uh, those and, hip flexors activated. Yeah. And, and even, you know, if you, if you walk by him, if you listen to, he's even working on his breathing, like, you know, his, everything about what he does is to prepare and to be as finely tuned as possible. Uh, and I think that was something that Nate, you know, naturally kind of gravitated to. Yeah, yeah, and Andrew Cogliano is just such an amazing specimen to me because of exactly that. Not only has he, does he have that mindset and that approach to the game, but he's had it for so long. He's been in the NHL since he was, what, 19 years old. Now he's 36, so he's he's his longevity combined with the amount of effort and dedication and discipline you have to have to be doing the things that Andrew Cogliano does, you know Nathan McKinnon looks at that and is like, this is my guy. This is the kind of guy uh, I, I can really get along with. And, I mean, it's it's no secret that Andrew Cogliano has been able to do that because of his approach to the game or been able to play as long as he has because of his approach to the game. So, um, no, a great fit there of Andrew Cogliano and Nathan McKinnon. And, um, yeah, I just thought it was unique. Don't forget, I mean, not that he was ever, you know, a, a massive point producer, but this is a guy that multiple times, Andrew Cogliano, multiple times, 40-plus points, uh, you know, 20-goal scorer once, high teens, uh, you know, several times, a couple times, I think 18. Um, and so, and not, you know, not, not to like, mention the Iron Man streak he had for a long time until right, he got suspended. Right, right. the Iron Man streak. Uh, like, like, there's a lot – we see Andrew Cogliano now as, you know, the depth, fourth line, penalty-killing winger. But, like, you know, he, 
this was a legitimate, you know, middle six, borderline top six player for a long time. Um, and, you know, still plays a very key role uh, for the Colorado Avalanche, not only in the leadership, but on the ice as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you kind of brushed over the Val Nachushkin situation. Let's dive into I that a little bit. brush over it, but we weren't talking about you it. You brushed over You absolutely. You just said, yeah, yeah Val. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah Val. Um, so let's get to Val Nachushkin. What do you What are you hear? I know conversation. I know. Well, yeah, you brushed over it so we could get to it later. You're you're just a perfect little uh, yeah. partner in that sense. Yes. You're like I don't want to go through the whole rundown in my first sentence of the podcast. Let's right, get to right, things right. bit by bit here. So, yes, um, I know I you're in touch. Thank you. You talk to somebody, uh, somebody within the organization. You have some sources. What are you hearing on the Val Nachushkin situation? Just what's your stance on it? I know it's so unfortunate to see because of how well he's been playing, but it's also fortunate to see somebody have just that freedom to be able to vocalize what they're actually going through and seek help and seek treatment. And at the end of the day, be a better person for it. Yeah. Um, you know, like, honestly, man, I, there's, I don't know much, really much beyond the, the, the official statement that the NHLPA and, and then later Val Lachushkin, uh put out his own statement. I really don't know much beyond that. These are, situations are always um you know with player assistance program they're always a little tricky um because you know we have to walk that line between you know doing our job and, and making sure that you know we we understand what's going on and, and informing uh folks with everything that we can or should um but with this type of stuff really this this does kind of border on that line of like okay you know he's, he's publicly saying i need to go get some help i need to go seek some treatment um we're really not sure what uh, how much of that is should be public knowledge? You know, I I don't really know. I think that's kind of up to everyone individually to to decide how they feel about it. But I really don't know much beyond uh, you know what what we've seen. Um, I did ask Jared Bednar. You know, are, are you happy about the fact that you guys have a culture here that you know guys don't feel like they need to go through stuff silently? I thought his answer was interesting essentially saying, yes, you know, we want to be somewhere that guys are comfortable, but gosh, it'd be nice if this wasn't the second time we were having to, you know, go through this. I also also picked up a hint of, like, I'm happy he's going to go ahead and do this now and not in the playoffs this time, right? I I got a little bit of uh, subtlety there from Jared Bednar. Yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, man, I I don't know. It's... it's, As you can tell, I, it's hard. It's 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 hard to, you know, have a big opinion on this because we just don't know much. You know, that this is the hard part. One of the things I've tried to do is is narrow down a little bit of like what it is, because the player assistance program it's kind of a broad strokes, um, you know, department or you know sector of the NHL where you had you know. You've had guys go in there for mental mental health reasons, um, I believe. I, I don't quite remember if Colin Wilson went into the program for OCD or or if he you know if it was different treatment that he talked about when he kind of you know told all. Uh, and then you've had guys like Sam Gerard who just recently went in there you know for help with with alcohol you know substance abuse alcohol abuse. Uh, so, so so it's just hard. It's hard to say exactly what it is. You know the statement does kind of hint at something similar as to what Gerard just went through. Um, You hope if he is in need, if he's recognizing that he needs to get some help, he's heading down a road where he needs to get some help. Uh, On on the human side, you're happy he's getting it and and you're happy that he's, um, you know, doing what he thinks is best for him, his family, his, you know, he's got a kid now. Um, But to your point, JJ, it would be silly to act like there aren't hockey implications to all this. And that's not something that, you know, obviously it crosses people's mind. Um, and you hope that this is something that he's getting taken care of at a time, at a time right now, because he's saying, look, I think this is something I can get under control and I don't want to put my team in a, you know, in a bad position like I did last year. I see my teammate, Sam Gerard doing something about it. I'm going to do something about it too. 
I'm curious to how much of a role Sam Gerard played in this. Not mm-hmm. literally, like not walking up to Val and gra- t- grabbing his shoulder and saying, hey, pal, this is what I think. But Val, maybe watching from distance, seeing Sam Gerard go through it, he went through it rather quickly. Looks like he's ba- bouncing back relatively well. I think Val maybe looks at that and goes, hmm, I am still dealing with something right now. Everything went really well and smoothly for Sam Gerard. Everybody treated him really nicely. Kind of the opposite of how it went for Val during the playoffs last year, right? I don't feel like it was received very well by people. So I think that gave Val Nachushkin the confidence to say, you know, I think I'm going to try this again because I still have some things to, that I need to work out. And I think that's fantastic. It speaks to exactly what you said to Jared Bednar about the culture. But I think it also gives a little bit of hope because Jer- it feels like Sam Gerrard walked in and then walked out of that player assistance program, right? Where I feel like with other players that we've seen in the past, that definitely seems to stretch longer. So I think maybe Val saw, just looked at Sam Gerrard and said, if I can just do exactly what he just did, I'll be so much uh, in such a better position. Yeah, and, and you know, again, that's to your point about Sam Gerard was, you know, two, three weeks, something like that. I don't, I don't remember what the exact timeline was, but like, that's the other part of this that just does kind of wrap a little bit of mystery around wh- what all it is th- that goes into the player assistance program, and um, you know, is are who determines how long players are there? You know, wh- what are the stipulations for players being able to return? Um, you know, to play. Um, I, I have, I've tried to do some digging and, and, and really most of what I've gotten is like, well, it's pretty case by case, you know? And, and, and so it's, it's hard to say for sure. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, to me, I look at it at the end of the day saying, he's saying that he needs some help. Glad he's getting some help. Yeah. I mean, I know as Avs fans, it's hard to not put the avalanche in front of the person, right? And be like, oh no, he's going to hurt our team now. Hopefully he's back in time for the playoff. Really, that's out the window. Really, nobody cares about that, right? Going back to the Nathan McKinnon interview on 32 Thoughts, it was interesting. It almost sounds like he doesn't, he thinks he's past halfway in his career, right? And just how quickly it goes. He even said, our careers are short it's so much more important for the person to take care of the person than it is for the person to take care of their NHL career because the NHL career passes in the blink of an eye and he still has to deal with himself, his family, his issues long after he's out of the spotlight of Avalanche fans. Now, here's the one thing that I do want to say. R.E. what you're talking about. Because part one of the things that I do feel like uh, you know, this isn't necessarily exclusive to NHL players, but I feel like they get a lot of uh, these days. You know, it used to be something that, that people really re- revered, and I think it went too far that direction as well. But, um, you know, there are a lot of people that, that heavily criticize when guys play through injuries, try to come back in games, when, you know, we find out later they have been, you know, injured pretty bad. Uh, you know, guys try to come back early. You know, Val Nachushkin plays in the Stanley Cup final on the broken foot. You know, there's a story from years ago about Patrice Bergeron. I, be- I believe it was Bergeron uh, with the punctured lung. Like you hear about all this stuff, and players can sometimes get criticism for it. Andrew Cogliano coming back into the uh, what was it Game Five last year with the broken neck. And as much as as these guys, you know, it's it's so important for them to stop and and you know take care of themselves. For me, I understand why you see players push themselves like that sometime, and it's what you're talking about. Their careers are so short. They've dedicated their entire lives to getting to this point. Um, and the idea of removing yourself from that in, in key moments and moments that you've literally, I mean, literally spent decades preparing for, to, to remove yourself from those moments... I think can sometimes be hard for, for, for those guys. And that's something that I think is hard to relate to for a lot of people because look, call it right, wrong, and different. However you feel about the amount of money they get paid, they get paid that amount of money because it's a highly, highly specialized skill set that, that professional athletes have. And it's not just the skill, it's, it's being able to be mentally 
strong enough to, to, to make the sacrifice they do, to train the way that they do, to be in the public spotlight, to, to wear that kind of pressure. Um, and again, all of that is to say, it's a big reason why it is so important that guys you know make sure they are taking care of themselves mentally because their careers are short and it feels like everything, and it, and it is for these guys at times, but um, because it's everything and because you spend your whole life doing it, I do think it's sometimes easy to forget, you hope, there's a whole lot of years left after you're done playing. Right, exactly. Uh, you, you know who Delonte West is, the former NBA player? Uh, he used to play for the Mavericks, the Cavs. Uh, he he kind of played a, a lot of different places. And uh, a video surfaced of him a few years ago, not even that old, already homeless and broke because exactly that, right? He kind of just lived in the moment of the NBA, spent a lot of money, didn't take care of his finances, probably didn't take care of himself and mentally or, or physically, really. And it's... It, it, you kind of get kicked aside once you're out of the league, right? Nobody really cares about the former players. Everybody cares about their team and who's playing and who's um, going to help them climb the rankings that particular night. So everybody, you know, claims to care about Val Nichushkin right now. In 10 years when he's long out of the NHL, long out of Colorado, long out of the United States, and an afterthought for a lot of these Avalanche fans, and he's still dealing with this, I mean, you know, he's the only one that's stuck to deal with it, and and Avs fans have moved on. So you got to nip it in the bud, try to take care of it as early a, as you can. But he's in his late 20s right now, so um, pivotal time for him to just kind of, you know, grow into an adult. He has a child now, too, so I'm sure that importance has elevated even more for him. So, um, yeah, I'm in full support of him just getting right and uh, just focusing on himself. I think everything's fine, and at the end of the day, we're talking about a game. JJ, the uh, the inspirational speaker. And 10 years and no one cares about him. <laughs> well, am I right or am I right? I'm just calling like I see it. I, I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I, I think that that's a... Uh, I get what you're saying. Um, again, I, I do still come back, like, like, for me, and I'm not, like, confronting you about this. But I, I don't, I actually don't like the whole, it's just a game thing. Cause for them, it's not, it's, it's literally their whole lives. It's their whole lives. It's everything that they've, for, for Val Nichushkin is how, how old is Val? 26, 27? For, for the last 20, you know, 25 years, that dude has woken up 90% of the days of his life and dedicated hours to, to this. So that's the part to me where I, I, I think there's the disconnect between what it is that these guys go through in their head and us, you know, on the outside, uh, you know, fans of the game, fans of the team, who, you know, whatever category you, you, you want, you know, you want to talk about. It's, it's just a game to us and it's something that we, you know, support and cheer and, and, and you know, watch the games, you ride the emotions and then we get up the next day and, you know, we go about our days. But, but for these guys, it's, it's everything. It's everything to them. And I think that's why you see guys as they get older in their careers and start, you know, having families and stuff like that. And maybe that's part of what's going on with Val is they realize like, whoa, there, there is more to life. I think Jack Johnson, you know, that's a guy that we talk to all the time and, and he's always got such a great perspective on things. So I think he's at the age and point in his life where he's like, oh man, I do have other stuff going on. I do have stuff to live for after this. Um, but the, the, the it's just a game thing, I think, is it's easy for us to say, but I, I think there's plenty of guys in the league that, that don't look at it like that. And I think there's even more guys not in the NHL who, who don't look at it like that, who still, you know, in their late 20s, into their 30s, are grinding every day to try to get a game, get, you know, one chance to, to play in the NHL. So it's just tough because I do think that it is that mindset that makes it hard for, you know, you and me to, to, to really relate to what these guys go through and, and, you know, why they, you know, sometimes end up in these situations where they need help. Yeah, I mean, I was saying that in comparison to, you know, the importance totally. of his mental and physical health versus a sport, right? I mean... Totally, um, totally. I, 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 but you're I spot you're on. Saying. I mean, it, it is. It's elevated totally. for them. It's, it's a life, and it's not just a game to them. But um, totally. at the end of the day, your life is more important than the game. Um, well, it's more important than, than 
you know, whatever, again, I think that's what I'm just saying. I think that's why when guys get later in their career, they're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> there's so much else in life that's amazing. And I think you just, it takes time for guys to, to, to get there. So I, we're do you remember, do you remember those t-shirts in the nineties that were super popular, had like a puck on it and it just said hockey is life. Yes, I think so. Maybe we were all taking those t-shirts a little too literally. Maybe not literally enough. No, I'm just kidding. Mm -hmm. What else you got? Uh, I want to get to Eustace Ananen getting the game in Ottawa last night. I think it was a bit surprising not seeing Ivan Prozvatov get the start. Um, especially because Eustace Ananen apparently coming off an injury he sustained in December. And not going to lie, I am not pleased with what I saw out of Eustace Ananen against Ottawa. Uh, I thought he battled. I thought he was okay in the third. Um, the mechanics, I think, are still just uh, not not where you want to see him for an NHL caliber goaltender. I think what I what I really hated is he seemed to just lose the puck a, a ton. Uh, right? It it hit him. He'd make that first save, but then he'd no, have no idea where it went. He starts scrambling. Maybe slides himself out of position or a little too far out of the crease. I was watching on altitude and. And Mark Rycroft goes, look at the confidence of him making that save at the top of his crease. And I'm like, no, he's lost. He, does, he doesn't know where the puck is. He's suddenly just trying to scatter around and so, found himself at the top of the crease. So I, I made two, really I had two big observations on Eustace Annan. And, and, and coincidentally, they were the only two things that I didn't like, but they were maybe the most prevalent parts of his game. And you just mentioned both of them. One, I thought he really struggled to track the puck. I thought he really struggled to track the puck. Like you said, there were times where I felt like he was even struggling to find it before the shot got to him. And then even more so, if he made the first save. Scramble no, time. Sc scramble. It really seemed like he was struggling to find it. And then I don't I don't even want to call it overcommitting. Uh, to me, it looked like he wasn't stopping on his marks. I mean, like there it was almost several... just seemed like he was guessing, right? He's just kind of sliding well, any and every way, just hoping well, the puck hits him, and it did a lot of times. And not even necessarily that, but like there were a couple where he he did track a pass from you know right to left, you know through the seam, whatever. And uh, ooh, I thought I was gonna get a pop out of my hip there. I was all excited for it. Um, I feel that's the he... only thing you're popping. <laughs> and then. Again, he, he he wouldn't stop on his post, or you know, it seemed like he he wouldn't stop the slide, and suddenly the guy didn't shoot, you know, uh, pause to, to to make another pass or, or touched it back, and uses in it, and seemed like he had a really hard time stopping and 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 again not over committing to shots or looking like he's over committing to shots and passing lanes. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. There was a lot of stuff. Not a lot of stuff. Those were two things that, that were, I thought, very, very prevalent last night that I uh, uh, didn't love. Your thoughts on the thought process of going to Ananen instead of Prozvatov? Um, to, to me, with those two guys right now, it's kind of six of one, half dozen of the other. I feel a little bad for Prosvitov because I think, truthfully, he's given you probably two bad periods of hockey, and they haven't been good, right? Uh, that last game against Florida, there's no two ways around it. That wasn't a good game for him. That wasn't a good outing. And he was giving up bad goals at times that he couldn't be doing that. Um, I So I get it. Um, to me... I'm going to stop just shy of using the word problem. Like, you need to get something figured out here. Georgiev's playing too many games. Uh, you know, I didn't I didn't really have an issue with it the first quarter of the season. Georgiev likes to get in games. Uh, I really did. I thought, okay, they're, they're feeling it out with, with Prosvitov. They want him to work with UC Parkola, um, really get up to speed, feel comfortable with the systems, defensive schemes, all of that. Uh and, and and clearly they just they, they, they don't they don't feel comfortable there. I'm not saying it's it's right or wrong. I'm not you know defending Prosvitov or, or advocating for him, but clearly they don't they don't feel comfortable there. Um, you know I they, they they might need to do something sooner rather than later with an option that they feel comfortable with. 
at the, at the backup spot because right now whether it's on it or prospect spot, to me it really doesn't make a difference. You're, you're the same guy right now. We know that Jared Bednar loves to ride a hot goalie, right? I mean, he's he's very vanilla when it comes to his goalies. That's really his his deciding factor. I'm sure he leans on UC, lets UC really, you know, think about the ins and outs of goaltending and have, you know, a little more a little more weight on his decision. But for Jared Bednar, it's purely about who's hot right now. On Frank Cervelli's podcast, Chris McFarland said that he would like it for Alexander Georgiev to play 55 games this year. Right now, he's at 35. So that gives him 20 games more, and the Avalanche are currently sitting at 45 games played. So they have a handful of games that they need to figure out what to do when it comes to goalie. That's half half of what's left. So my personal theory is they want to experiment with both Ananin and Prozvitov and keep three goalies on board and be able to go to whoever's hotter, whether it's Ananin or Prozvitov, when Georgiev inevitably has to rest because I I don't see him. I'm going to take the over on 55 games <laughs> for Alexander Georgiev, but you know they're going to do their best to try to you know heed that a little bit. Uh, truthfully, JJ, I, I don't think they're going to do that with Ananin. I think they want him playing games. I, I still think the organization sees potential in him I, I don't think they're gonna want two young guys. I'm not I'm not saying you have to agree I'm not saying I agree but but I think that's a guy out there saying that's our draft pick we've seen large strides taken you know he had he had a he's had a couple very good American League years I think they're still wondering can we get this guy to be an NHL goaltender and I'm I, you know I, I was told earlier this season that that part of the reason they sent it not part of the reason a big part of the reason they sent him down to the Eagles isn't because they don't like him as a goaltender. In fact, the exact opposite. They send him down to the Eagles because they like him as a goaltender so much, and they don't want him just sitting around. That's why they did the, the Prosvitov thing. I don't think they're going to hold three goalies or carry three goalies. I, I think they're going to make a decision on one or the other. It's probably going to be Annan sent back down. He's still waiver-exempt uh, until next season. Um, but, I mean... If, if, I don't know. I kind of see it as like a let's see what we got in these two before the deadline. Um, let's give them both a few games, see which guy can do better, and if we have to make a move for a goalie, then we will. Or we can stand pat with whichever one of these two. You know, It's almost like a, a goalie con- controversy for the backup position. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess. I guess. I, I just don't. I mean, that's that's – over a month away, the trade deadline. I mean, shit, dude, you'll be at 55 games played for Alexander Georgiev by then if you keep both of them around and, and keep experimenting back and forth. Like, if that truly is the number that they want him at, and that's the internal dialogue, is we want to get him closer to 55 games by the end of the season, given where they're at in the standings and the teams around them, like, you're going to have to go get, you know... <laughs> Mark Andre Fleury to do that, and they're not going to do. You know, they're not going to go get Mark Andre Fleury, but like that—that's the caliber of backup you'd need closer to a one B to, to to be able to ride that kind of goaltending into the into the end of the year. Um, you know, they're missing Pavel Francouz. Bad, bad. I think we all are. Yeah, I mean, yeah, dude, he was the best, best in the room. I I, I always love chatting with him. Yeah, I don't know. I, he's at home recovering, right? Back to mm-hmm. Czechia. Um, so it's crazy just thinking that he's just on the other side of the world living a life where he's just been pushed aside and everybody cares about the team in front of him and it just kind of seems like people flicked Pavel Francouz off the map, right? Um, such such negativity. <laughs> that's just what happens to players when they get out of the league. See Delonte West. Oh, <laughs> I uh, wanted to get to one more thing from the Toronto podcasts that the Avalanche were joining, um, and that's the updates on Gabe Landeskog. Both Nathan McKinnon and Chris McFarland kind of had their own two cents on Landeskog right now. Good to hear that he's back in not only around the team, but he's actively participating in meetings and um, just all yeah. team events. They hope to move that further along to him traveling with the team. Um, who knows if he actually gets to playing games, but it's amazing 
just how much they truly missed Gabe Landeskog. You know, I know. I mean, I know we've all said that, we've all known that, but it at times for me, it's like, yeah, but that's sports, right? You lose a player, you move on, next guy up, kind of thing. But now right. it's really hitting me like th- these guys genuinely want and need him around, regardless of if he's playing. Uh, yeah, you know, I I had um, Mark, our videographer. Uh, he asked me. He said, "Who's, who's the longest tenured Av? If you know Mark, you know that's not how he asked it, but that's essentially. <laughs> uh, and I I, I stopped because my my instinct was to say Gabe Landeskog because it was Eric Johnson. My that was my mm-hmm. instinct. And I was like, well, I said, literally, it's Gabe Landeskog, but he technically hasn't been around the last couple of years. So it's hard to say that, you know, he's long tired. Point being to what you were just saying, um, you know, I think we all kind of immediately went to like, oh man, what a good, you know, such you know, elite player, the captain. I think we just forgot. I mean, Gabe Landeskog has become a, a part of the fabric of the organization, not unlike the way that Joe Sackick did, you know, maybe not, not quite there yet. Uh, you know, to where Joe Sackett was. But, I mean, the, the, the way that he's kind of just woven himself into to everything that happens. You know, you hear the way that management talks about him, the way that coaches talk about him, um, that, that, you know, he really is more than a player. He's almost kind of like the buffer between the players and coaches, upper management. He, he like, almost kind of can do both. Um, and I just don't think that there was any way to measure an account for how badly you were going to miss that and just that presence, um, you know, around j- just day to day. Um, and you know, I'm, I, I, we, we know Gabe Landeskog a little bit, you know, beyond, you know, the hockey player from the little bit that we get, you know, we've gotten to interact with him in, in, in the past. Um, I mean, you know, we're, we're given to believe he's just an outstanding, you know, individual, a, a guy that, um, everyone likes to be around that, that really brings a room together. And dude, I, I had something really interesting said to me uh, in an interview that we actually with Logan O'Connor that should be coming out here pretty soon. Um, but, you know, he talked about how one of the things that's so great about this locker room is that in any locker room, and, and this is the phrase he used, that it's easy to get along with like your four or five guys on the team, but it's how well can you, you know, be friends with everybody and mesh into all kinds of different groups and, you know, be someone that goes out to dinner with everybody and understands everybody a little bit and, gets the nuances of, of different personalities and different groups. And I think, you know, I wouldn't doubt for one second that's something he learned from Gabe Landeskog. And that's part of, you know, what always made him a good leader and, and such an important player for this team. And Jared Bednar would talk about it. He has a pulse. Gabe Landeskog has a pulse on the locker room. He's the truest sense of how it's feeling when they need a break, when they can push, uh, you know, when there's something to worry about you know, when they're just, you know, ah, we just didn't have it. And dude, I, you know, Chris McFarland in that interview with Frank Saravelli said, this year feels better because we have a plan. We know it's happening a little bit more than, than what we did last year. Um, and I think it was just kind of, I do think last year was just almost shocking to, to, to the organization. And now we're, we're seeing them learn how to, how to be without him. And now you hope that you can get him back at some point and problem solved. Yeah, I liked when uh, McFarlane also mentioned that, sure, we can go out and get a 20-goal scorer with the cap space, but there's so many intangibles that Gabe Landeskog brings that just aren't available out there. When when a team finds a player of that ilk and of that caliber, they hang on to him. They don't ever let them become a free agent or put them on the trade market. So the person you find to quote-unquote replace Gabe Landeskog is only going to be able to replace a fraction of what he brings to the team. Totally, totally. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. You know, it's 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 good that he, you know, he's around. He's he's coming to meetings saying, "Hey, this is what I saw. This is what I think." Um, the, the the one thing that is unfortunate, and they've all talked about it. Gabe Landeskog talked about it uh, at the beginning of the season. At the end of the day, he can't get on the ice with them, and and it's hard to really be that same, you know, type of leader when you're not, as he put it, you know, going to war every night, uh, you know, with the team. But um, you know, dude, we see the video uh, our boy Evan posted the other day of him getting back on the ice. Um, 
it's good. That, that's, you know, we hadn't seen that yet. So that's a step. But for anyone that saw the video, we are talking like the earliest stages of getting back on the ice that you could possibly be in. Um, I, I don't think there's any chance he's back this year. Even in the playoffs, my, my prediction is if they if 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 they go all the way to the final, and they're in the Stanley Cup final, you get a Steven Stamkos moment where he dresses for game two or game three or something like that. Yeah, I think the timeline has him being available during the playoffs, best case scenario. But let's be honest, this is not the type of injury that best case scenario is very likely, right? And um, I think with him skating there's a plan in place right i mean c-mac again on that podcast if you haven't checked it out um i suggest you do it and maybe fast forward through the first couple minutes because they're <laughs> pretty brutal um but he went he there, there's a plan in place and they're sticking to it he did his first stretch of rehab in toronto and it seemed like McFarland was very adamant about that. He was very, I think he said something like it would be detrimental for him to try to do it here in Colorado. He had to go do it on his own. He got through that stage, and now we're on to this stage. So it, it's progressing. There's a plan. It's moving forward. It's just about if it keeps moving forward and we keep receiving good news throughout because, like you said, it's, it is still in the very early stages of the return. Well, and the one thing to keep in mind, too, and Emily Kaplan from ESPN tweeted this um, after that McFarland interview came out, she said it's great. The one thing to keep in mind is she was told by Chris McFarland, any setback with this injury and what, you know, with not experimental, but him being one of the first, uh, you know, the first hockey player to do it and among, you know, one of the first few pro athletes to do this surgery, any kind of setback basically goes back to square one so uh they are going to be super duper extra slow and cautious with this um and make sure that they don't suffer any setbacks and he can continue to progress towards uh hopefully uh returning to hockey yeah yeah another guy that is missed along with francis and Two more guys that are missed right now, Bo Byram and Arturi Lekanen. What's the update on those guys? How close are we seeing them to returning to the lineup? Not tomorrow, or I guess tonight, depending on when you're listening to this, in Boston. Uh, Jared Bednar has said a potential chance for Philly uh, for one or both of them. Uh, so they're both getting close. Uh, they've both been here on this whole trip so far. Um, they've been on the ice. Bowen Byron was wearing a non-contact jersey yesterday, two days ago. I don't know what day it is anymore. Um, so they're getting close. Not tomorrow in Boston, but soon. And what do you make of the Bo Byram trade rumors starting to heat up a little bit in the recent weeks? Um, I'm not surprised by him. I don't think the Az are looking to move Bowen Byram. I think they would like to do everything in their power to avoid that. But uh, as I said the other day on Altitude Radio, um, if the right offer came around for the right player with term that could solve your 2C problem for an extended period of time, not just between now and, you know, you, you hope July, um, then I think maybe it's a conversation you can have. But he's too good of a player uh, he, he's still too young. He's still got too much potential for them to be, you know, just floating his name out there kind of willy nilly. Um, but uh, you know, I'm not surprised. And I have said it a few times when they extended Devon Taves, I had a feeling that these rumors would, would, would follow, uh, with, cause you know, that, that would have been his spot, you know, up, up the lineup with, with kale. Um, so I'm not putting much stock into it. Personally, I'd be surprised to see them do it. Um, but if they do it, I, I think it's got to be something significant. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think we've already heard that the Avalanche aren't going to undervalue Bo Byram in a trade and just move him just to move him just to get a, just to get an addition to the forward group. However, I think there's a reason we're hearing Bo Byram's name, and that's because of the emergence of Sam Malinsky. I think the Avalanche are maybe seeing Sam Malinsky 
really grow into his role and really make strides. Not to mention, I think there's something to be said about the comfort Jared Bednar has with Sam Malinsky and continuously calling him up, continuously using him, continuously giving him important minutes. That I think it's worth asking around what other teams are paying for a guy like Bo Byram. Because you do have a guy that can slot in. I feel like they're confident. Yes, he's young. Yes, there's some... I, right now, would rather have Bo Byram. But, again, when you need the help to the forward group, I think you're all ears. Just when it comes to test, You don't have to sell when you're just testing the market, right? You don't have to trade them when you're making calls and saying, hey, what would you guys pay for Bo and Byram? Um, see, I, I think it's... I agree with you on the Sam Malinsky thing. Because I think part of the concern before you know you start to see some of this out of Sam Malinsky is, okay, well you know you traded Connor Timmons, uh, you traded Justin Barron, okay, so let's say you move on from Bowen Byram, who comes in and you know fills that spot, or now do you have a hole on your second pairing uh, defense? So that's always kind of been the question. To your point, Sam Malinsky's come in, he's been great, man, he's been great. And I think it's just kind of, and I think this is the point you're making. It's not making them say, hey, we want to trade Bo and Byron, but now it's like, okay, well, now here's a, you know, another young kid who, who you know, could potentially fill that role. And I don't even necessarily think it's what would you pay for Bo and Byron, but I think they're probably, probably, I'm speculating a bit here, identifying players that they think would maybe match, you know, in the price range. And say, what would it cost for a guy like this? And and my my guess would be the reason that we've seen Bowen Byram's name out there, because I'm sure the abs aren't hanging up the phone anymore when teams mention Bowen Byram. Like to me, I think that's the difference of, of negotiation. Where probably a year ago, what about Bowen Byram? Now we're good. Now it's okay. Well, what about Bowen Byram? And it's well, what do okay, you got? Are we talking yeah. one for one? Are we getting but something it, extra, you know? Is it Django where Leonardo DiCaprio says, now you have my interest or something like that, right? <laughs> Could be, I don't know. Yeah, have you not seen Django? It's a good one. Um, but no, not to mention uh, Caleb Jones. It seems like a guy that they're getting really comfortable with. I think back a couple years to when it, Avalanche had the opposite problem. They had a lot of forwards and really no defensive depth. They... Trade Matt Duchesne, get Sam Gerrard, make a couple trades here and there, acquire some draft picks, bring in Kale McCarr, bring in Bo and Byram. Now they have the opposite problem. They have a plethora of D, not to mention their quick, puck-moving, smaller D, a lot of kind of the same mold defensemen that why not just, again, test the waters, see what, what people are offering, and if you can strengthen the forward group, you know that's – the one job of Chris McFarland is to make the team better. So if he has the opportunity, he will do it and he will listen. Yeah, no, uh, th- that's the one thing. Th- th- this team is patient. They don't make moves just to make them. Uh, and yeah, they're, they're, they're always willing to listen. Right on. Well, we've gotten through my docket, my list of things that we needed to talk about for today. Jesse, let's wind down this podcast and give me a good story. You've just spent, what, five days oh, in Canada? Man. Three cities. I know you've got at least a good story up your sleeve of maybe something super Canadian. I, you know, the weather's been terrible all across yeah. North America. Maybe you're in some bitter cold. Hit us with something. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I do have a couple stories. Um, let me think of one that I should tell on the pod. Um <laughs> You know, you, you said very Canadian. Uh, when we were in Montreal, um, I, I think it's called Mount Royal. There's a, a big lookout over, um, uh, that looks over downtown Montreal. And it's almost like this, like, um, not almost, it's a hiking trail that's very, like, mountainous. It's very, you know, wildernessy. And you get to the top and you can uh, see out over uh, all of Montreal. What was awesome was, you know, it's snowy, it's cold, and, you know, there's kind of this winding path that goes up. You can take these uh, stairs. And there was a ton of people um, cross-country skiing it, both up and down. And there were tracks, you know, worn into the snow so that they could go both directions. 
and we were just laughing that that was like the most Canadian thing of all time. Uh, and then while we were on that walk, because it, you know, it, the walk overlooks downtown, uh, there was some type of demonstration going on uh, in downtown Montreal, some type of protest. Uh, you know, th there was a couple different things actually going on. We Googled it. I'm, I'm not sure what it was. Uh, but but the, the, the Mountie set off four flashbangs in downtown Montreal. Uh, and, and we, like, it startled us, you know, because they were loud. And, you know, we're up on top of this mountain. It's echoing out. And, like, nobody else skipped a beat. There's smoke pouring out of downtown suddenly. <laughs> and everyone's cross-country skiing and continuing to hike. And we were sitting there, like, stopping. Like, do we need to, like, go back to the... What's happening? And, like, no one paid any mind to it. So we just kind of kept going. Just keep drinking their coffee and reading their newspaper, right? It's just the time for the weekly flashbang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know it's coming every week. Um <laughs> Montreal might be my new favorite uh, arena to visit, though. Uh, both there and Toronto, just just top notch all around, man. Yeah, no, it looked like you were definitely enjoying it and uh, in awe. So, um, I guess I've got to add the Bell Center to my bucket list because yeah. you definitely seem to enjoy your time there. It was great. Yeah. <clears throat> well, right on, uh, Jess. Thanks for hanging out with me this late Wednesday night. I know yeah, I uh, you got to be up early yeah. for morning skate out there on the East Coast. So enjoy Boston. Enjoy the Avs game tomorrow. Everybody out there, thanks for hanging out with us and enjoy enjoying this podcast. I hope you guys enjoy the game tomorrow too. Jesse, <laughs> last thoughts before we head out of here. Uh, I'm ready for it to not be cold. God, me too. Me too. I hate it so much. I'm so angry just cursing the cold every single day. Why am I here in Colorado? Bro. Um See you, Jesse. Thanks for. See you, JJ. Thanks for. This is great. Actually, I forgot. This was our first attempt at this uh, remote podcast here. You're yep. across the country. I think it went well. So I, I hope everybody out there enjoyed it. We'll be back next week to talk some more Avalanche hockey. Thanks for hanging out with us. This has been Gorilla Hockey with JJ and Jesse. Bye.